Fed Square's Anything But Square podcast was created, recorded and edited on the stolen lands of the Bunurong and the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations. We acknowledge and pay our respects to the traditional custodians and their ancestors of the lands and waters across Australia where our content reaches and on which Fed Square's partner organisations stand. Sovereignty was never ceded. My name is Sarah Gasali and today I'm chatting with Rachel Kelly, the founder of Ed2 and co-founder of Peacebeam, as well as Swedish New Zealand artist and maker Ulla Britta Westengren, ahead of their Kids Flags to Aprons upcycling workshop as part of Sustainable September here at the Square. Rachel and Ulla, I'm really excited to chat to you today. Thank you. Thank you. Well, first things first, Rachel, would you be able to tell us about yourself and how you founded A2? Yeah, sure thing. Kia ora, Sarah. It's um, really great to be on this podcast. Thanks for having me. Um, so a little bit about myself. I'm originally from Aotearoa, New Zealand. Um, I'm a proud Ngāti Toa woman from Wellington and I moved to Melbourne over a decade ago to study textile design at RMIT University. At the completion of my studies, I, I worked uh, for over a decade in the uh, fast fashion space as a textile designer. And that industry introduced me to uh, a lot of wonderful opportunities, but also um, it really exposed me, to, I guess, to the wasteful world of, of design. Something I really enjoyed doing in the pre-COVID world was attending music festivals. Um, and over the years, I really started to notice the increase in single-use outdoor equipment. Like it was often just when you're packing up at the end of a music festival that you'd, you know, really start to see, um, I guess, some of the destruction that was left behind after, you know, two or three days of, you know, good times. And I guess it was recognising that I had skills in doing something about the problem that I was um, witnessing. Um, but also, I think I just felt this like really deep call to action, a need to use my skills in a way that was meaningful and purposeful. And so I founded Etu a couple of years ago. I collected my first tent from Rainbow Serpent and I, I collected it with the intention of seeing if I could make a bag from that tent. You know, I wasn't sure if that material would be durable or whatnot. Um, and, you know, well, I, I was able to make a couple of great bags and, and friends really liked them. So I actually went back to music festivals the following year, um, having approached music festivals saying hey you know can I stay behind for a day or two and collect and and they were really supportive um and then one thing led to another and I I launched uh, my first collection of bags made from festival waste uh, last year mid-covid a great time to be launching a brand <laughs> but I think a great time for product with purpose and a great time for brands looking to disrupt ways of designing, ways of producing, and Etu's uh, been an e-com store, I guess, for uh, just, just under a year. And we have uh, sold out of our first collection, which is really wonderful, and really exploring while festivals aren't happening, opportunities to engage with community because there's lots of different ways uh, we can participate in the conversation um, aside from just selling bags made from waste. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. Uh, was there a specific turning point for you where you decided that you wanted to do something about this or do you feel like it was something that was going to happen all along? I think I had agitated for change in that space for a long time. 
I lived in London and I was enticed back to a role for a really big international brand here that sounded as though they were ready to make commitments and changes to product that I was really excited about. Uh, However, after a year in that role, I recognized that uh, it was a little bit of maybe lip service and Unfortunately, big change in big organizations relies on a level of investment that will impact the bottom line. And sometimes that can be really um, scary for big corporate organizations. And so I think for me, the realization was, you know what, I don't actually have to work in fashion to participate in the conversations that I want to be involved with. So I actually um, left full-time work in that space and pursued a a, a change of scene. Um, and I'm now a human-centered designer. I mainly design digital products, but it's always off the back of a lot of human-based research because I believe talking to people is great, understanding what they need is great before we actually put the effort and energy into designing or even using resources. Because, you know, be intentional if you're going to use a resource to produce a product. And and so I guess it was all of those experiences that um, led me to make several changes and to kind of birth Eto, if you will. I haven't looked back and I think that, yeah, there's lots of room for other people to participate in making changes like this based on their lived experience. Yeah, absolutely. And I definitely think that you made the correct decision going on this path. Ula, as a designer, where does waste reduction sit within your work? So I have my fingers in quite a few pies. Um, I'm actually studying horticulture part-time at the moment. And I guess in that realm, we compost, which is the ultimate kind of closed loop circle of how we work. And then I also work for a mid-century furniture company. So I'm restoring and repairing old furniture. So again, I guess we are in a way keeping that waste, giving it a second life really. And my third pie is making costumes for film and music videos and theatre. And in that realm, I think there is waste and I've seen that a lot. Yeah, it's a hard one because there's, I guess, intellectual property. So if you've made something, you can't just kind of keep it and say reuse it in that way. It might belong to someone else, which is often the case. Um, But always as a maker, I'm, you know, collecting materials. I'm seeing if something can have a different life, uh, reusing and repurposing where I can. I'm kind of in the realm of waste in a way and working, restoring, you know, keeping things alive. And the horticulture side is just, it's a fresh breath of fresh air for me, which is why I've chosen this next career move. Thank you for sharing that. Um, Side note, So I'm studying film and I had no idea how important production design was. It's huge. And I think I remember one once when I was working on a Peter Jackson film in Wellington and I just remember they were building up sets for the day and then just kind of tearing it all down. And for me, I was looking at that, just going, seeing materials that could be repurposed, but because there wasn't really time to either engage and get someone to take it but there wasn't either space to keep it anywhere but then there was also that intellectual property that we can't there are some things that we just have to slash and you know you'd be slashing costumes that were were used once and it was like this is painful but it's got to be done yeah yeah i think that that industry has a longer way to go a question for the both of you have you faced um any challenges along the road to 
partaking in more upcycling practices? Yeah, look, in terms of the challenges uh, Etu's face, certainly in, you know, I guess going to market, I think it's been a really big 12 months for brands participating in the upcycling space. It's really hard to separate what I've seen and what I know now with, you know, where we were two years ago. But, you know, if I do reflect on that, it was that there really weren't many brands participating. And when I tried communicating the idea to others, even, you know, friends or colleagues or just trying to hold space for each other to see if like, oh, you know, is this a viable idea? It wasn't really understood. And I think it's hard to envisage a product that was made for purpose A being transformed into a beautiful object that is object B. Because I think when people think of upcycling and particularly using textile waste, the, the product's often not been upgraded. It's been sort of downgraded. So, for example, cotton's often used as shoddy textiles, which is like for insulation of mattresses, for cleaning rags. It's like our mindset around um, repurposing textiles often goes to like an inferior product. And so I'm really relieved to say that the mindset is slowly changing because you've got a lot of brands coming into the market that are showing audiences that we can elevate product to something that was maybe better than before. You know, in Melbourne particularly, we've got very talented designers. It's a very creative community. And I'm really excited by what I'm seeing in the space of upcycling. I think there's a real community emerging and I really am excited by that because at the end of the day, I've always said like the more people working with textile waste, the less textile waste in landfill. Have you ever had a problem sourcing material to upcycle? Because first things that you used were lots of leftover festival tents and outdoor material. Um, and given that last year, a lot of entertainment things were <laughs> impacted by COVID. Um, did you have to go through other avenues to find your material? Yeah, good question. Um I guess I'd start by saying that there is no shortage of <laughs> festival waste at these festivals. Like I have a studio in Brunswick and that's where I store my materials. And if anything, I've got a problem of like, I need to uh, use my materials probably at a faster rate than I currently am. But um, interestingly, quite organically, other opportunities and other, I guess, streams of textile waste streams have kind of come to me. You know, I've got a park ranger who collects tents Someone who I've never crossed paths with saw um, Air 2 and reached out to say, hey, you know, um, this is a problem for us as well over summer. Like, how can we work together? So, you know, I'm letting those kind of uh, resource streams come to me only because uh, I am a, a one person operator at the moment. To find them would be challenging, um, but they are out there. I think also there's a certain degree of stain in your own lane. And, and I guess what I mean by that is it's very easy to start thinking that I need to solve every textile waste problem through the production of bags. And, you know, I have taken that on before and that's it's, a, it's quite heavy. I really enjoy going to music festivals. I really love working with those organisations. And I think there's something about working to reduce the impact of outdoor equipment, textile waste, I'm really passionate about because why are tents that are perfectly usable being left in our beautiful, you know, forests? And I do have a problem with that. And I will until we get a better system in place to either 
upcycle and, and create a circular economy so there's that waste has a purpose and a, an outlet or that there's education for people to just say hey it's not okay to leave this behind and, and I guess that's where Air 2 is at. What is the process of upcycling like? Because we talk about it and we see these amazing products that come out of it but what is that process like for both of you? I'd take it all apart and look at all the parts and see what could be repurposed into whatever other things that I want to do. So it's just about deconstructing, seeing a function and seeing it in a different way. So that's kind of how I look at when I've got objects and materials in front of me. I think that's a really good point around deconstructing. I think when we talk about upcycling, there's this whole stage that is present in the process that doesn't exist when you're just designing with new material. And it's like Ulla said, it's deconstructing, it's reimagining, it's evaluating. I think a large part of what we do at ETU is evaluating the material. That extra step is time consuming and it's creative problem solving like on the fly. And, you know, I'd say that um, Ulla and I really met and bonded over our like obsession with problem solving when I see a tent at a festival, it's like, oh, it's in really good condition. Oh, those seams are beautiful. Oh my gosh, that color is amazing. Or, oh, that mesh is so cute. I just want to make a pocket out of that. It's like seeing the best in a material. And, you know, in this instance, I'm talking about textiles, but it could be in wood, in any any craftsmanship. And, and it's seeing beyond merely what's presented to you. And I mean, I don't know about anyone on this call, but like when there's hard rubbish like around, I'm just like, oh my God, like look at all this potential. Like it's a, it's a motherboard from like a computer system. And I'm like, it's so beautiful. Like what could I do with it? It would be much easier, faster, probably cheaper for me to go down the road and to get um, some polyester fabric on a roll that I know is going to be clean, that's going to be 120 centimetres wide. But to me, like, what problem is that solving? People have this insatiable appetite for tote bags. Like, why do we need new tote bags? We've got so much fabric that could be upcycled and, you know, into the product that everyone seems to own at least like two of. Creative problem solving is at the heart of upcycling, but it's time consuming and it can be dirty work too because my tents aren't coming clean off the roll, you know. It's like glitter, like, oh, what is this, you know. And and so you've got to be persistent. You have to believe in it. And I think the ultimate goal is, though, to eliminate waste before it is produced, designing in, in the way that how will my piece, once it perhaps hasn't got that use, how can I then reuse that or repurpose those things. Ulla and I met a year ago. We actually have run a number of really successful workshops and also um, produced a number of exhibitions. And, and one of those was for Melbourne Design Week. It was one of their largest exhibitions um, and it was called Byproduct. And it was all around the theme of open source knowledge sharing and encouraging designers across a variety of practices to make from waste. And you know, at Etu, you could go onto our website now and you can go and download all the bag patterns and make your own bag. We're really, we're not trying to um, protect that IP for ourselves. We want to inspire anyone with the skills and ability or interest to go and reduce waste and decentralise the need to buy from somewhere else. I believe technology could be used as a force for good 
I, I just don't think we're quite yet, there yet. But, you know, when I talk about open source in a tech space, it's it's just sharing knowledge in a way that is, you know, on these digital platforms. Because if I was to cast a net 10 kilometers around me right now, like there are probably piles of waste material, various, you know, maybe it's foam, maybe it's textiles, maybe it's metal. You know, I just, I just wonder if there are other opportunities for people to sort of just share that knowledge. Like it's a culture and it's a mindset, I think. It's like, um, you know, with all the resources we've got, particularly technology, like how is it that we're not sharing information like that still? Like I sometimes wish when I go into these stores that you you go and you look at the label and it's like legally it had to tell you where you could buy it secondhand. You know, I know we're far away from that. It makes me sick sometimes just at all the new materials that come in when we are probably sitting, you know, I wouldn't even know if there was like heaps of foam just hundred meters down because we just when we're disconnected and it helped me in my last project I went to spotlight and bought a big roll of foam and you know made things but perhaps if I knew if I knew if where there were places that were selling say secondhand foam because you know I was then destroying that foam and changing that surface for this particular costume and I didn't need to have it brand new necessarily and when you need something quick you know where to go so Perhaps that's another challenge of like working with more upcycled materials is just creating spaces for, yeah, the leftover materials to go. Yeah, I think so. And I think that um, it is hard to scale upcycled initiatives because of what we talked about before, the time and effort that goes into assessing and evaluating. We could be smarter with how we share resources and collate the information so that other creatives could explore textile waste and, and I've actually thought about doing that but with Eto, like um, I'm not protective of my tents like if others want to use them I'd, I'd happily encourage that I, I, I think that um, it's sort of finding connection and in, in the upcycling community and maybe I'm, I, I'd like to be proved wrong maybe there is a an app or a website that's connecting people in the space but it feels like people are just connecting when it, they've got the finished product but I want to know about the material do you think it's like almost like gatekeeping this form of upcycling because they want to kind of keep the, these ideas in order to make money from it? Yeah, I think that's a dangerous point where people start kind of going, this is my idea and you can't work with other waste. It's like, no, no, no like you're not going to solve the waste problem. Anything removing waste from landfill is a good thing. And I, I do think we need to get better at encouraging more of it you know, I, I, that's where um, Ulur and I's interest in open source is interesting because how can we use open source knowledge sharing to accelerate a move towards like a reduction in in waste? But interestingly, our experience with that project was that not everyone wants to share. <laughs> well, I know that you two are um, bringing something really special to Fit Square. Uh, would you be able to tell us what sort of activities uh, that we can look forward to attending your workshops? Yeah, so Fed Square have actually been keeping a lot of their old flags from previous festivals and ceremonies. They have asked us to find some ways to upcycle this material instead of it going to waste. And Rachel and I were talking and we've had some previous workshops where we've made aprons uh, with children and it's been really successful and fun and playful. And so on the day, 
we'll have a bunch of these old flags. We'll have pattern pieces for an apron, machines set up, scissors and glue ready. And yeah, we'll just get creative and start making these aprons. And we've got a little for, uh, a pattern and a formula and we'll show them how to do it. And yeah, then they'll leave with a nice colourful apron. Exactly. They get to take these flags home. And I think that'll be an important part of our intro is just maybe showing photos of the former life of this fabric or, you know, really explaining to them that it was a flag and that, yeah, you know, see the flag that's hanging up there now? Like this is what, this is the material we're working with because making that emotive connection between what it was and what it could be is what really opens up. Opens up to imagination. Yeah, imagination, but opens us up to what could be. You really have to see the potential in something. So, yeah, we'll definitely start out by um, getting that understanding there of um, these flags would typically just go into landfill because that is a powerful connection. It's that story about this was a flag and now it's something else. And if they can take that with them just internally or share that knowledge, like that is powerful. And the workshop we've designed is is really for children aged between sort of seven and, and 15. Um, you know, do you need any sewing skills? No, because Ulla and I, um, you know, we'll be there helping you with that. It often helps when there's a parent or a caregiver that's come just because there's a lot of, you know, cutting and gluing and it's a real hands-on workshop. It's really wonderful when you see their little faces like all just super excited at, you know, realizing that they've made something. Awesome. Uh, that sounds amazing, and I'm really, really glad that Fitzquay got in touch with you to make that happen. As a young person, fast fashion to me uh, is very, very accessible. Uh, what's one thing that you think we can all do to lessen the impact of fast fashion on the environment? I would suggest buy less if possible, buy secondhand, swap and exchange, look into the stories or perhaps more so the conditions behind fast fashion that might start getting you to change your mind. And then if you can, and this is about education and this is where perhaps brands also need to uh, express this, but check pick, pick fibres with low chemical requirements because that's also a bonus for your own health and body. And fast fashion and chemicals are very much connected. It's a big problem and there's multiple angles in which you can approach it. So understanding your values is a really great place to start. For some people, it's water reduction. For some people, it's chemical reduction. For others, it's wanting to make sure where their clothes are made are made in a place that's ethical and safe, you know. And so you are right, fast fashion is accessible. But sustainable fashion can be inaccessible because of its price point. And I think we've got to be really careful to exclude people from that conversation because not everyone can afford to do all those things. So starting out by watching a documentary such as The True Cost is a great place to start. It sort of gives you a snapshot of how the industry operates and how does that make you feel? What What is it about those things? Listen to those gut instincts and and then go and find brands that are working to address that that problem because at the end of the day consumers have more power than they realize vote with your dollar I guess sometimes I think my biggest piece of advice would be don't follow trends because trend is a made up word it is a a made-up concept delivered to make you buy more things like 
find out what your style is, explore it, love it, but don't get sucked in to needing the latest thing. And just one more question for you too. If you could envision a more sustainable Melbourne, what would it look like? What, what is this brand now? It's not on the top of my head, that website that is uh, basically what you were talking about, Rachel, how it's like choose kind of what works for you or where you want to put your dollar. It's a website that sells clothing and it's either, you know, if you're waste reduction, water, chemicals, and I think that they kind of break it down. Well-made clothes maybe or good on you. I mean, I feel that is one part of making Melbourne more sustainable, offering that. I think from like an arts and culture and design point of view, Melbourne offers such diversity and is really supportive of emerging ideas because I feel like in the last 12 months I've been supported, Ulla and I both, you know, they're open to new ideas. I do think though we have a gap between being like ideas and kind of arts and culture festival to mainstream awareness like there's a bit of a gap there I'm starting to see a change like I am starting to see more awards for example pop up in the space of like um, circular economy awards but I still think we put a lot of value on ideas at scale and I just think we need to recognize that um, some brands starting out in the space they're not as fast to scale and so um, sometimes I just think they get left out of some conversations so it's really great to see that there are more awards and platforms going to sort of smaller um, startups. I think Melbourne's heading in the right direction. Yeah, because they've been supporting, you know, the food and restaurant industry through buying local through these lockdowns. So perhaps hopefully that will extend with products and fashion. Ola and Rachel, thank you so much for joining me in this conversation. I can say that I've definitely learned something new and I hope that everyone listening has as well. And I can't wait to see uh, you hold your workshop uh, later this year. Thanks, Sarah. Hopefully see you at the workshop.